Welcome to I Love That Record again. Everybody, buckle up. We are going to drive side by side on a highway in the Beehive State, reminisce about those friends who used to be goth kids, and maybe even sit in Ohio on some steps as we talk about Limbeck's record, Hi, Everything's Great. Now, I've been doing this show for a few episodes now, um, and I've had a great time. It's been a lot of fun. Talking about records I love, but there's always been something missing. There's that behind-the-scenes perspective. So last episode, I chatted with my buddy, Kyle Lindsay. He was in a touring band, Camera Can't Lie. I thought Kyle was really going to give that extra perspective. We talked about Saves the Day, Stay What You Are. Great record, had a lot of fun. And it was actually really helpful to hear from Kyle what it was like to be in a studio and work with a producer. That was super great. Had a blast. But it just didn't quite go far enough. Something was still missing. We were speculating a lot about what was the band thinking? What were they doing? Why, why were they doing what they were doing in the studio? And I thought about it a lot. I considered a few options. Turns out time travel is not a thing yet. Can't do that. But it finally occurred to me, what if I just asked members of the band to be on the show? What do you think, Rob? What do you think, Patrick? Does that sound okay? Oh, I'm totally in. That's awesome. So with me today, we have Rob McLean, lead singer of Limbeck, and Patrick Carey, guitar player for the Limbeck band as well. Super excited. And of course, because he was so amazing last time, I brought back my buddy, Kyle Lindsay, to chat as well. Thanks for being back, Kyle. Thanks for having me. So first things first, we have to clear this up. Kyle literally called me 15 minutes before this, pulling up the Wikipedia page <laughs> for Hi, Everything's Great, saying, what's the deal with this? Patrick is even listed on the record. It's like, wait a minute. I talked to Patrick a couple of years ago for my other podcast. He totally was on that record. So Patrick, can we start there? Were you on this record? Actually, I wasn't. That's the crazy thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to screw with me a little bit there. Perfect. <laughs> so Wikipedia, you heard it here first, everyone, is totally and utterly wrong in this case. Rob and Patrick were both on the record. So thank you again both for being here to chat about it. Um, this is a 2003 record, so it's been literally 17 years. I realize we're digging back in the memory banks a little bit. But I think one of the things that Kyle and I really wanted to hear from you guys, as I said in the intro, was what was going on at the time? Like, what, where were you at as a band? Um, where were the songs? Like, how were they percolating when you decided to go into the studio to make this record? Maybe we'll start there. I don't, I don't know. Uh, for me, it was just like, where was I at in my life? It was just like a, um, I don't know, just, it, it was a, a different, different phase of my life, but it, but it was, um, everything was exciting. And, uh, yeah, Rob, I, I was going to say like, it, it, there is a very, uh, interesting transition for us as a band at that point. Yeah. Because we had, uh, we had made a record, prior to that, that we kind of don't actually claim to be a record of ours. No, I mean, I, I take that back. It's just out of print. It's not on, it's not on Spotify. So it's kind of semi erased from our discography. If you look us up, you're not going to find it. So I wasn't going to bring we, it up if you didn't. Well, I mean, I think it's fair game because we did make that record at the same place. We made it out with Ed Rose uh, at the at the Red House studio that it was called at the time. And uh, we kind of just had a, a there was a, a handful of things that went wrong. The pressing was wrong. Uh, there, were, there was a glitch on the CD. And I, I don't know, I, I think it was just, we, we, were, we were touring at the time and, and those CDs came out and the stores were returning them because of the glitch. And the demo it was a total... Yeah, it was a total sampler, two song sampler cassette tape that got yeah. lost in the mail. Yeah, it was it was a disaster. So I think at that same time, I remember vividly that um, 
Rob was living in Orange at this really cool old house. And um, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know. There was that story, Rob, that you tell that like you got, you lost your CD book and kind of opened yourself up to some new influences that we weren't really. Yeah, that, uh, that was part of it. I had this like one of those giant like CD wallets that you would bring in your car. And um, I, I don't know that this is really what happened, but it, it's what I would always say. And I think it's kind of true. But, um, but I lost it, and so I was looking for some other some new music, but I was kind of strapped for cash, so I would just go buy records at the local thrift stores. And um, back then, it was like people weren't really looking for them, so they were really cheap. It was like like three records for a dollar. And I would get like uh, the stuff that was like really popular back in the day, so there was a lot of them still. Like I wasn't like a really good record store, or, you know, like record... Um, digger you know sure. uh, i was just finding the stuff that was there but i found like a lot of bob dylan like good bob dylan stuff that um like would be harder to find nowadays i guess and um this is a lot of cr- uh, classic rock that I, I wasn't really on my radar before and it kind of changed me and like you know even some stuff that's like not as cool to say like the eagles stuff like that and um i don't know it just kind of opened my mind a little bit to and tapped into like some of my my personal history with like some family who listens to country music and stuff like that and so it, it's it was i would not have been caught dead playing anything twangy you know early on in limbeck during that first record and then all of a sudden it just started happening and i was like well it's okay because we're doing it <laughs> it was like <laughs> well and first off the I, eagles I, are great like they really are like such a tight band and like you said like it's not probably cool to say that but the harmonies are amazing on some of those songs I can totally see why you would take that away from it. So what did the band say when you brought these songs then to them that had this twang to them? I'm assuming that that was present even in the early, early stuff you were showing. That that was another thing that was funny was that I think the first few songs, Rob, were those ones that you, you recorded with me on guitar and Rachel sang. It was that little EP, um, it wasn't, yeah. I don't even know if that was a Limbeck thing, right? Yeah, we made like a, with, with my friend Rachel Cantu, who's a great musician also. And, 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 si- and sings on the record too. Yeah, she sings, she's the, the, the singer on uh, the, on a few songs, but but most not Ohio. On Ohio. Love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's great. And, but we made like a little split, like five song EP just for fun. And it, I was, I had, I didn't have any intentions of not putting them out as Limbeck songs. We were just like doing something. And that's where I guess that's where it came from. I, but I remember thinking like, like maybe I'm going to be embarrassed by going this way. And but then you guys were kind of okay with it, and just kind of we went with it. And I, I was totally dumb about it. Like I didn't know I didn't have any like cool modern um, references that I was being influenced by. You know, like like I had no idea what like Whiskey Town was had probably already done at the time. Um, or the Jayhawks who we ended up loving and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of people doing it and um, I had no clue. Well, but, I think that's, that, that's what was kind of cool about it was that it was really natural. Like you had some cool kind of stripped down demos that uh, I, I don't even know if I'd say that we took a folky approach on them. They were just a little more. Uh, yeah, totally. I don't know, we were, Americana-esque, right? I mean, but... Yeah, but, I, but I don't even think that it's an Americana record, really. I, I feel like we just had... We were influenced 
it, it, I don't know. There was some something in there, but it was still that. I, I feel like that's why we we kind of like were on the fence between like all the punky bands we would tour with, and then but we could we could also do the the tours that were more Americana and fit in there too. I, I we were kind of chameleons a little bit, like w- whatever show we were playing. Sort of. I mean, it's I almost an emo record. That time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if you heard the record before, it definitely was an emo record for the most part. I was yeah. going to say it had to be a bit of a. I toured. I toured in a band where we didn't really fit into the shows that we played. It had to be. I listening to this record and seeing who you guys were on tour with. I mean, what was that like? Because obviously, like you fit in the scene because you didn't even try necessarily to make this record. It's just kind of what came out, but you're touring with taking back Sunday and you're playing, you know, quote unquote, more Americana tunes. Did it feel that way? Or was it, was it just like, no, this works. I don't know. I felt like at those shows, people thought we were a country band and at the Americana shows, people thought we were an emo band. It was because we weren't really either, but we had, we, we have like punk rock roots and we were really into emo in the nineties, all of us. And I don't know, we're just, we were doing pieces of both. We weren't really like a, a sure thing on e- in either genre. Like, I don't know that we were like a great support band at a lot of the shows that people were like, but, but some people like went all in on us, which was really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, Hearing the story, it's this is even more fascinating than I realized because this is not, you know, trying to blow smoke up your asses here, but like the record sounds great and you do it so well, like that style, like particularly to me, the guitar, um, like the really like slinky riffs that you hear, you know, I'll include clips and stuff when I edit this later, but just these little riffs supporting um, what's going on, like little things in Julia and silver things, like you just really pulled it off really well. And I kind of wonder like, where did that part come from? Like, it sounds like you, you made this record that was like pop punk or emo or whatever. And then you got these songs that are Americana influenced, but how did you pull it off musically? If that question makes sense. I, I, Patrick did that, I think. Well, I think that's, that's tricky too. I mean, to, to kind of rewind a second, we went to Ed Rose to make that first record because of the get up kids and, uh, I don't, know cast? Uh, I don't know if we knew about them until we, we got to work with him, but um, I think it was a big get up kids influence and then kind of hearing the other kind of things. I don't know what else we heard at the time, Rob, but like, there's just a lot going on in Lawrence at the time. Yeah. And we knew we liked that get up kids. To, yeah. That let us out there. Um, but that first, yeah, that record we made with him first was, was, was way more on that kind of emo E um tip of things but then i think rob made that ep that split ep with rachel um we were rob and i were both listening to a lot more like tom petty and stuff like that and i think those kind of mike campbelly more melodic moments and i feel like there was there's a point in here that that i'll 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 never forget that that (laughs) that ed rose told me He's like, get up, kids are working on some new songs. They're not using any of those octave chords yeah, totally. as, their, as their second guitar. And I was like, whoa, that's... That was, that was when we were making our first record. Yeah. And and that kind of blew my mind where I think they were probably making On a Wire and 
we were leaving the studio and he was telling us that. And I was like, wow, that's like, that's what emo was built on for a second guitar. I feel like Ed Rose had a lot to do with like kind of where we went and the stuff that he recommended that we might like. Yeah. I mean, he, he pushed us into the, the direction of Kill Creek and, uh, I don't remember when, when did he give us, I, th- I think he, well, he, he gave us Matt Suggs, which I was right. like, super stoked on. And he was from a band called Butter Glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he did a solo record with Ed that was so good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that, I, I don't know what style that was. It, it's, it's, it, but it's so cool. Um, and, uh, it, so he gave us stuff that made me not super proud of what we were doing at the time. <laughs> and I think that had a big, like, you know, like gave me a, a, like a desire to do something better. And this is why we wanted to have you on the show. Cause this is exactly what we've been speculating about as we talk about these records, but to actually hear you say like, yeah, it was a big influence is amazing. And I didn't realize that you had made the previous record with Ed. So that's, that's super interesting. And the fact yeah. that he kind of nudged you in a direction and that you like took in these influences and it was like all kind of this stew. And then you came back to make this record. And then there was like, it just makes me like worried about the future. Like, will bands have the the budget to work with someone who, to mentor them like Ed did for us. Like, it's just because it, it, it influenced the record we made after the first record we made with him, you know? Yeah. Which was, well, made was gonna... in Minneapolis. Let's just throw that out there. Right. Wait, what well, studio? Was... At uh, Flower, we made a record at Flower. Flower, nice. Minneapolis, yeah, very cool. But we did do. We I was going to mention Rob. Uh, we did do three demo songs. <clears throat> excuse me, with Ed before the the full length as right. well, because we were. Uh, I think we were just we were trying to find a path after that first record kind of fell apart, and we had these new songs that we were really proud of. Um, so we decided to go, go and I think we probably spent our own money. We went out there and made a three song demo. Was it like for shopping purposes? Yeah, Yeah. it was. Yeah. And then, uh, so we went out there. I think that's on our band camp that those recordings. Um, but we did that with Ed and then, um, we did a couple more songs, um, out in Arizona with a guy named Bob Hogue. Who did the formats EP. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we, I guess, I guess my point being, we did go back out to Ed prior to recording how everything's great. Um, and basically those three songs were kind of demos for what was going to be the full length, uh, how everything's great. And then working through those probably at that time, Rob, that was probably where we got even deeper into, into Ed's brain as far as like, uh, influences that kind of, Yeah, I wouldn't say that Ed pushed us down the Americana route in any way. No, I think it was more in that, like, more that Midwestern, jangly kind of pop rock uh, avenue, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The California guitars, though, you can't escape them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I hear surfy guitars, I'm the whole thing, personally, but... Wait, wait, what did you say? You can't escape what? The California California guitars. Oh, like, the, like well, a, almost a surf sound at times. Yeah. Huh. And then maybe that's what I mean when I say slinky, like there's just these little licks and stuff that they're all over the record, um, which are super cool. I, I just, that's one of the things that grabbed me right away about it. I think that's I mean, cool. I've, I've never thought of them as being surfy. Yeah, that is cool. I haven't either, but I can <laughs> see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. I think they're more surfy than they're even Americana, honestly. Mm-hmm. 
minds have been blown. Songs. I think the songs. Um, it's interesting that you listen to Bob Dylan, and it wasn't like, "Hey, we're just gonna listen to you know the Whiskey Town, the Ryan Adams, the Jayhawks, and we're gonna make that record." Like you didn't even know those bands. I think it makes it a better record that you were just listening to Dylan, and this is what came out. Like that's cool. And yeah, you had the influence of you guys were playing emo music. You love the '90s emo, and then you're you're from California. I hear surfy like slinky guitars and that makes sense to me now because i'm trying that's even a friend i was talking to had some questions and one of them was like did they set out to make this record were they did it just come out with what they were listening to and, it, and it's fascinating man it, it totally just came out because those uh demos that we made to shop they were just better versions of our our former emo sounding self you know like they sounded a lot better than the first record, for sure. They were cool, you know. They, we could have been, we could have done just fine with those. Like sometimes I, I wish we didn't veer so much from what we were doing because it was fun. But um, but it, it felt like we all kind of clicked on the same wavelength when we went to f- to make the record, which wasn't that long after making those demos, I don't think. But it was after Doghouse signed us. I don't think they knew what they were getting into. So I was going to ask about Doghouse. Thank you for bringing that up. So when did the label come into it? Because you made something to shop. And then how did you get signed? Yeah, we, we did the old school route. We uh, we made cute little CD samplers with a bio shot and mailed them out to probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 labels that we dug from zines at the time and uh, got a handful of rejection letters. And then Doghouse was... Uh, interested so they they I, I don't know how I don't know how we communicated at the time but they came out and saw us at the Troubadour and I remember going to Astro Burger one of our favorite post post show spots up there and uh I think at that that night they kind of like expressed the interest to sign us um and then yeah that kind of like I guess it was a, a quick path after that it was like making the record into releasing the record and then they had uh the all American rejects on a, on a big tour supporting their radio single that they uh, were able to sneak us on as the opening act. And we were playing to like 700 people a night. That was way bigger than our 20 people a night we were playing to. That was a crazy tour too. Cause we soundtracked the first leg of it. And then we took the support spot for the second leg of it. And they were just telling us like, cause we had our, we were already friends with those guys and they, they were telling us how all the venues kept getting bumped cause the band was like blowing up during the tour and all of the, the show moved to bigger venues. And then by the time we got on it, they were huge. It's, it's so weird. Like they, the tour started out and they were like a club band. And then by the end of our tour, it was like a thousand people a night. Let's make sure I have my timeline, right? This was after how everything's great or right before. Right after it came out. Right after. Okay, cool. Wait, was it Rob or, or did we have a sampler for that? I don't remember. Did we have the record? Maybe the record was coming out. Maybe it was about to yeah. be out. I, I thought we were selling the record on that tour, but maybe not. We we could have the record. I don't I don't fully remember that on the on that tour. It's, it's been a long time. No worries. <laughs> so when you were getting ready then, so you got signed by Doghouse. So I'm assuming that they're giving you a budget for for the record and you're you're all set. You decided you want to go back to Kansas. Like did you know right away that that's what you want to do because you had, you know, been working with Ed so much? Yeah, I want to say that was kind of a no-brainer on our on our part. 
we didn't consider anybody else. And that's when uh, when Black, I think the we we did the when we did the EP or the those few songs that we were shopping, it was still called Red House, the studio. And then right, I think we were the first band to do a record at Black Lodge when Ed actually became an owner of the studio, with um, with Rob and Ryan Pope. Which I did some quick internet research and realized that it is now owned by somebody who records covers. I guess, like. I can't pronounce her name, but she records cover <laughs> songs and releases them on the internet. Um, huh. and she owns the studio. Yeah, it's on Facebook. Anyway, <laughs> quick aside. So you show up then in Kansas or did you send anything to add in advance? Like, I, I guess I'm, what I'm looking to understand is, was he surprised when he heard what you came up with? Like the songs that you had ready to go for this record? Holy songs. And those were re-recorded for the record. And then we did the t- we did two songs with uh, Bob. One of those made the record that was um, Brand New Orange. And then one that was on the the vinyl, a B side on the vinyl that was, uh, yeah, totally. Um, we did that with Bob as well, right, Rob? Yeah. So yeah, he he kind of knew it was coming, and I don't I don't remember him acting surprised at all. Um, I don't know. He's he's a pretty level headed guy. I think. I think. Um, I don't have a good answer for that one, but I don't think he was surprised. It, it didn't seem like he was surprised. Well, because I'm kind of putting myself in his shoes, like, you know, this band that was recording this other album and it was just totally different in the genre, as we have said a bunch of times, and then comes back with this other thing that's like totally different. Uh, well, I think also, like, for me at least, I blow it out of proportion. I don't think we changed, okay. <laughs> we probably didn't change that much. But um, but to, to me, it felt like we had become a whole different band. Sure. But, but yeah, like a lot of the songs like are still kind of emo sounding on the record. Uh, yeah, totally. To some to, to some, some extent. extent. Did you do did you do pre production with them then? Just those few songs that that we sent out, and no, no, we just went to the studio and recorded. You just went. You just, oh, that's awesome. That's truly insane that you sent out CDs with bios and got signed <laughs> that way. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was a different time. It wasn't that long ago. But um, do you remember what the budget was for the record? I think it was. Oh man, it wasn't just five, was it? It was like fifteen. No. I think it was like fifteen. Fifteen rings a bell to me. Yeah. And do you remember how many days you spent in the studio? Probably oh. like a month. Oh no, 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 no! That was that was two. Weeks. That was two weeks. Oh, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. And it was fifteen grand. Yeah. Kansas, right? That's insane. That's crazy. I love it. I mean, 14, probably like weekends and like, you know, 14 days straight. And then, uh, I don't know. I don't mastering was included in that. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't. Yeah. There weren't a lot of other expenses besides the studio and mastering, but can I jump back real quick? You mentioned production where uh, did you prediction pre-production with them? And we didn't, but, to me, a big part of the record was um, was doing it at my house where I was living. Like we had, I don't know, I, I had a lot of fun making the pre, doing some demos, some very questionable sounding demos for the record. Uh, but, but with Patrick and uh, and Matt and Justin, but um, but me and Patrick spent a lot of time there, and we even like we we're trying to make like a a practice area below my house. Because there it was an old house and there was a basement, but it was more like a tall crawl space. 
And we were like, we have to make it so we can like do stuff down here. And so we were like down there with shovels, digging it deeper, <laughs> trying to make a spot that we could like stand up. And uh, we never, we didn't make it very far, but we, we ended up recording a lot of like the, the loud amps down there. And that's, that's in my, in my memory for the, <laughs> and, and that was our screen printing room for a, for a hot minute. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you could say that this record was born in the crawl space below Rob's house, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess to that point, like how fully formed were the songs then when you when you got to record them? And if you only spent a couple of weeks, I'm assuming pretty fully formed, like you had a pretty good idea of what you were going to do. Yeah, they're they're pretty complete. And Ed Ed wasn't the type of like producer to complete songs for you. He he would make them sound good. He would make sure that you did good performances and that you were, you know, not putting something totally lame on there. But he wouldn't like rearrange everything. There are some things he had like, like like one song, uh, "Someone with the Whole State." He had a really he kind of threw some curveballs at us. Um, but for the most part, he wouldn't like take the songs and like rearrange them and change the chords and stuff like some producers will do. He was more of like a technical guy that would. It would make them make you perform them well. It's like a brand new orange on our demo with Bob Hogue. We uh, in the bridge, we got really loud with an echoey drum set and big piano. And then Ed took the opposite where he's like, that's cool. But it seems like it would be really cool if you had like a really dry sounding confined drum set and that, uh, as the bridge entered and kind of explode. And that was like, it's kind of like production notes. Like, um, but I thought of a, I thought of another weird thing, Rob, do you remember us doing demos at Milano, our practice space with that guy, Dave Irish? I totally forgot about that. I remember recording the leads on Julia, but my hands weren't working. So it was a little sloppy on those demos. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I totally forgot doing those demos, with Dave. Well, and I actually like that you mentioned the um, the tweak that Ed made to the sound or like adapting it because actually I would say the record to me sounds very dry overall. I don't know, Kyle, if you've got that impression as well, or obviously Patrick and Rob, if you if that was what you came away from it feeling like. Uh, I don't know if dry is the word. Um, yeah, I, I, it's hard. It's actually hard to uh, articulate exactly the sound that uh, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think "dry" is the word for me. But can you explain what you mean by that? Again, like I'm not a music production person. Really, I've just done like casual stuff on my own. And there's something that's like it. It almost feels like the record is is tighter in terms of its frequencies than some are. Like. I mean, God, you hear modern pop music and like you have the deep thumping bass and whatever. This sounds to me like, I guess the word I would use probably because the band used it is dry. Like it is just like tighter and, and the EQ is maybe a little closer together than maybe um, again, like a pop record would be just a random thread. I thought of that's fair. I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's kind of Ed's style. Like he's, he's, um, he's a, he, I don't. I, I I don't know. He he. I'm trying to figure out how to say this the right way, but he he was just a he. What I don't think he was a producer that like changed your songs. He just made sure you played them really well and weren't doing something, uh, you know, totally embarrassing on him. Um, 
like I don't like he wouldn't rearrange your songs, but he'd make suggestions about how they would sound. If that makes sense. Sure. And um and and as far as like him and the first record we do, did with him was on a tape machine. So it's oh, not no all about like um, computer editing, you know, like like there was some of that on Everything's Great, I'll admit. But um, but but even on the first record that was on tape, it's just, it, it was just his style to get a good take out of you. Um, and I and, and everything ended up sounding pretty well put together, but not like over hyped. It's definitely not overproduced at all. Like, it, it, I, here's maybe what I'm trying to say. It sounds like a live band. Like, it really sounds like in the best possible way. Like, there's good energy, and it doesn't. You don't hear the the digital stuff that you're talking about at all. I'm curious though, like, which where that kind of came in, if you can remember, like where some of the editing happened. A lot of it happened on some close state with the drums. Okay. Cause that was one where he, um, he, he, that, that's the one where he really ran with it. And he's like, you guys don't want to play it the way you're doing it. Here's how you want to do it. And, um, and he had us do that more like very, very, uh, like kind of sparse sort of, um, I don't know. It, it, it ended up, it was a lot different than we went in, into it with and, and how he got us there was <laughs> <laughs> kind of like badgering us into doing it that way and, and and some of that badgering was uh via editing stuff on the computer and uh it, it ended up turning out great that's that's super interesting so what was the overall recording process like like i i think this is way way back in my memory banks when patrick and i talked about the next record i thought that was mostly live I'm almost positive you said that you did. It was. Okay. Yeah, the, the record after it was was mostly live. Yeah, so what'd you do for this one? Uh, this one was, uh, we were all in different rooms with glass between us. Uh, so there was a drum room and then three ISO booths around the drummer. So we could all see each other and we all played live. We were really just capturing the drums. Um, but I think that that's a really good way to do it. If you're just going to capture the drums is to have everyone play together because you still feed off of each other even if you could see each other through through the glass and it and it i think it makes for a lot more natural sounding take than if you're just playing with a scratch track because someone pre-recorded gotcha well, that makes a lot of sense um and so again two weeks the 12 songs on the record plus i think probably some other ones you did so you're doing almost a song a day um and did it go pretty smoothly overall because of the work you had done in pre-production and the demos and all that yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, that's that's a thing I don't totally remember speed-wise. Um, but but given given how we tracked it, it was kind of like we probably did the drums in two days or two days and change and then uh, moved on to the rest of the tracks, like bass being next probably because we'd have a scratch of uh, the guitars and a scratch of the vocals. Yeah. Um, and that's then I know... We did, we did do that approach, though, like later we would do a song at a time, you know, like the whole thing, it felt like more like, but this record, we did do more of the mass production sort of like get most of the songs out on drums and they get most of them done on bass. Like you're saying, but then, but then Ed was very, uh, he's definitely a a guitar amp guy. Uh, at least at the time where we had 
I mean, there's probably a good, I don't know, eight to 10 amps we used on that record. Uh, you know, between different amps, Rob and I would mess around depending on the song. Um, yeah, we'd mess around a lot with guitars. So I'm glad you brought up guitars again, because again, one of my favorite parts of the record is the guitar work. How did you and Rob generally split that when you recorded this one? Was Patrick, were you mostly doing those leads that we were talking about? Was Rob was more rhythm or was it kind of a mix and match? Yeah, I think this was, this was, um, I mean, I, I was playing, uh, like kind of like noodling around Rob most of the time, Rob, Rob would kind of take the, the main rhythm approach and then, um, I would, yeah, I think I would fill in from there. I think if I remember He's correctly. Played, though. I mean, it's all, it's all Patrick. Um, I, I was a solid rhythm guitar player and I think I got very good at doing that in the band, but, um, but yeah, that, that was kind of the role. I would always play the rhythm and like, I, I always joke about how I, I, I don't go past the third fret very, very often. <laughs> and, um, and Patrick would, would, but, but Patrick was tastefully putting the leads where nothing else, where, where, where they could be, you know, like he wouldn't be doing it over the vocals ever. Which does take skill. He's being modest. And was I, I the songwriting that... collaborative? That's what I was going to ask about. It read my mind. Yeah. Um, did you bring like, like in my band, our singer brought us like a skeleton basically. And then we would, you know, piece it out together. And obviously there was some collaboration for other ideas and whatnot, but how did it work in your guys's band? How did it work? I think that was perspective, Patrick. I think you definitely had, uh, the major for, for this record specifically, I think you had the majority of the song there. Um, I think that we were definitely getting into like that guitar, not, I, I mean, not like I, I would ask for like bars and bars of sections to like do leads over or anything, but I think we wrote in, you know, some little features here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like uh, my, my arrangement to, to, to add yeah. something for something that I wasn't thinking about, but I was, you like, read all the lyrics, Rob, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay for better or worse but um but i i would uh i would bring like a pretty complete song but i but we were like you know like uh like we we had to be a band you know because i i relied on everyone else to to figure out their own parts like i wasn't telling anyone what to do i would you know maybe mention something didn't sound the way i was hoping it would but i didn't know what i wanted either um and and I you know I definitely wouldn't tell Patrick what to do and I wouldn't tell Justin what to do on the bass or Matt either on the drums, so we were like, so I I, I would I would bring complete songs on the acoustic guitar but they were not very interesting until we all played them together, for the most part. Do you have any good examples that come to mind from this record of where maybe you made changes to allow for Patrick to noodle a little bit if you can think of anything or where you kind of extended things out or, or whatnot. I don't think that happened really. I, I don't think, um, I think things were just really, well, I'm not, I got back. I think like Julia had some very designated lead breaks. Um, she's, 
shoot, I guess, I guess <laughs> now that I say that, I guess a lot of them did. Um, I guess we had a lot of li- little lead breaks. They weren't really big, but you know, like uh, Albatross and Ivy has a little lead break. It's hard to say. We spent a lot of the time, a lot of time practicing together. So I would bring stuff into the, we we would finish stuff in the, pla- the practice room. Um, we usually weren't talking about lyrics, but we would play something I was working on. And then Patrick would come up with a lead. Sometimes it got us all excited about it. And then maybe that would make a, make me go home and finish it and leave space for the, for the thing. Um, but that's kind of how it would, we spent a lot of time. We were practicing a lot back then. Um, we, we didn't used to, we didn't end up practicing a whole lot towards the end. We would just tour, but, um, yeah, before that record, we were just in, in Milano all the time practicing. Well, I, I did want to talk about the lyrics for a minute and I want to get Kyle's take on this too. Cause I, I will say like, there's kind of an emo sound of the record, but I think lyrically, it's so much more interesting than a lot of the emo of the time or since then. Um, there seems to be this like melancholy longing in a lot of the songs. Like there's a lot of like travel themes and like, I just very much beyond the simple, like heartbreak uh, that you hear about in a lot of, or, you know, a lot of emo bands were singing about, I don't know, Kyle, was that your impression as well? It reminds me of touring. A lot of the record, a lot of the record sounds like touring. Yeah. And you use, you use people's uh, proper name, which I, really appreciated it was really funny because i was thinking about like so many so many instances and all the stories when we reminisce uh as a band like in touring stories they all involve proper names and you just you use them whether they're fictional or not or whether they represent someone that's that's real um i i appreciate that i think it's i think it's uh it makes the record even more genuine i think for the most part i tell the truth and that's like a blessing and a curse you know like I, I only write about stuff that's happening now and like we'd already bit spent some time on the road and so I was talking a lot about that and um I don't know I I was uh I was blessed with a rocky start to um a relationship that I ended up getting married to my wife after but um but that that influenced a lot of the lyrics on the record too like silver things that's about um the state of Nevada where where I am now at her parents house um, uh, it's a silver state, and I, I had ha- I, I had had a crush in the '90s on someone who said they were from Nevada too, and that didn't work out either. And I was <laughs> that, that song was about like silver things have never been good to me, and um, well, and I love that that's not obvious to me like at all. Like you you read the lyrics, and I, I mean, you could see it probably in there, but it's it's just not so obvious. Maybe that's what it is. For I try to be vague because I'm telling the truth. I try to be vague because I'm yeah. embarrassed about, you know, what I'm saying sometimes or it's not that, you know, interesting. But I, I feel like you have to find a balance. And, and I don't know that I'm always that good at this, but if you're going to be vague about something, it's effective because people can interpret it however they want to. But you have to add imagery to ma- to make it not boring and and just too vague. Like you have to give someone something to picture when when they're hearing it, but but yeah, it's all it's all true stories of things that are cool or not cool, and I make things that are not cool a little bit more vague. One confession I have from listening to the record and a lyric specifically, 
first time I heard it, maybe the first 10 times I heard it, I thought it was that Julia used to be a God kid. And maybe I'm showing my uh. evangelical upbringing. But I really thought it was that she used to be a God kid. Yeah, like said, were, that, and the other people thought it said she used to be adopted. <laughs> but, she a, but she was a goth kid. She had she wore like um, you know like super high Doc Martens with like a little ball and chain hanging off of them. And I don't even know how many times I sang. She used to be a god kid. Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you know? I mean, is Julia still around? Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, and. She, she was in our video for the song Julia too. If you ever oh, seen that, cool. that's the real Julia. Uh, one question, one random question I had, just looking at the Wikipedia page, uh, Rachel Cantu vocals. I had actually randomly looked her up after seeing this and doing the research and realized she was still making music, like you said. I love those little vocal bits here and there, especially in Ohio on some steps. So you brought her out to record. She was a friend. Like it just worked out that you could do that. You had budget to do that. Yeah. She was a longtime friend and we really just had to buy a plane ticket for her. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Cause we had, we had her out and then we had our buddy Chris out to play some keys on the record. Uh, Which he, are also awesome, by the way. I think there's a Hammond B3, a mean Hammond B3 in Ohio. Yeah, right. The American player. Yeah. He killed it. Yeah, that's that's super awesome. I don't know, Kyle. What other thoughts did you have? I don't want to dominate the the question asking and reflection here. Um, I, most of my questions had to do with the sound of the record uh, that we've kind of already touched on, um, and the songwriting. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in particular. So, how much had you guys toured before this record? I think that's another question I had. To, because I hear this record as being, it, it reminds me of touring. You clearly mentioned different state uh, names, uh, the Beehive State. You're talking about the, the Silver, it, it, Nevada's yeah. the Silver State, you said? Yeah. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And then you mentioned names, and there's a lot of memories. How much did you guys tour pre this record? Patrick should answer this one, because he, he was kind of our like DIY tour guy that set up most of the tours. Uh, that we were doing it at the time. Yeah, I think we'd, we'd done a little bit off of that that record before. The, this chapter is called Titles Record. And um, man, I, I mean, I guess we I guess we toured enough to get out to Ohio because that was the song. <laughs> the song Ohio is about uh, a night at our bud's house after a show out there. Um, we definitely done a, done a lot of West Coast regional stuff kind of like playing around Arizona quite a bit. Um, and that's what two coming from Tucson's about doing. We, we'd always have to go out there on the weekend and then drive home, uh, to get back to work, uh, for the next Monday. Uh, that was a common theme. Um, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I bought that old, uh, maximum rock and roll book your own fucking life, uh, zine that they sold at tower. And, um, uh, yeah, did a bunch of cold calls, I guess, on the phone to see, I know we booked a couple of regions based on that primarily like Florida, 
<laughs> we also had a lot of shows cancel on us <laughs> via that book, but um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, we did some tours, some tours that way because we didn't have a booking agent prior to Doghouse. I mean, I guess we didn't have a booking agent with Doghouse either, Rob. Right? Uh, no. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so we were. Yeah, we just booked our own, booked our own gigs, and it was pretty spotty. Um, booked a, booked a tour with our buds band called ENIAC that was from Texas. So they kind of, uh, did a little bit of the heavy lifting over in that region. Um, I don't know. They were really, really small, poorly attended shows, but I, I, I remember that being a lot of fun. Um, our first national, you know, semi-national, we didn't do, it wasn't that long, but our first tour where we, where we went to the East coast was with a, a punk band called homegrown. They were, oh, awesome. yeah. I love them. They were uh, great. Yeah. They, they, um, they were trio, they weren't they? Put out our first record. What's that? They were a trio, weren't they? I seem to remember time. three people. Times. There, there was a fourth member a lot of the time, but sometimes they played as a trio. Yeah. They were super cool. And, and so speaking of touring, I know this isn't technically on the subject of this record, but you have to tell the story of your visit to St. Paul, Minnesota, when you played station four. Um, I might have to prompt Patrick to remember, but you, you played with the format. And Steel Train, um, Jack Antonoff, hey, whatever. Um, no big deal, kind of famous now. But I believe it involved a fish. Patrick, is that enough to remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Did we, so, did we, already, did we talk about this last We talked time, about or? it on the other podcast, which nobody okay. listened to and heard probably, okay. except maybe a few Lindbeck <laughs> fans. So I feel like you should recount the story of your visit to St. Paul Station 4 and the fish. Oh, yeah, that was magical. Uh, I mean, that was, that was probably, a, that was a night that we had our quote unquote whiskey room. Uh, that was an over the top drinking room where we printed out millions of signs on a, on a crappy Epson printer that said like this way to the whiskey room and whatever. That's, I guess that's, <laughs> that's not important, but, uh, yeah, it was with pie. I remember it was with piebald on that leg too. And room was a couple and we we're all hanging out behind the club and a guy walked up to a dumpster with a catfish wrapped a newspaper and he was throwing it in the, in the dumpster. And we were like, dude, what are you doing with that catfish? And he's like, I don't know. I caught it in the, I caught it in the river and I don't know what to do with it. So, uh, and he kind of like threw it in the trash and ran. So I remember we ran up in the club and found a bucket that was full of like probably some gruesome, gross water. But we, we got the, we ran up. Patrick, didn't that back room have like a leaky, like a drip problem where it was like, that's, that's probably it where we got a, the... a basement with like a rickety elevator that went down. And once you got down there, it was dripping everywhere. And I don't yes. know if it was because it was raining or because there was a plumbing problem or not, but there's probably buckets of water down there that were catching drips. A hundred percent. And that's where we got the bucket. We ran and we got the fish and we put it in the bucket and then ran back down to the river. And I remember Travis, Travis, I remember <laughs> another vivid memory. Travis was there and we, we got Wait, the Tra fit. Which Travis was there? Uh, Travis Shettle from Piebald. And we ran back down to the river, released the fish, triumphantly celebrated. And then we ran back because Ruben's accomplice had to start the show. That was magic. That was a good one. 
Thank you for sharing that again. And I had totally forgotten that Ruben's Accomplice was at that show. And I'm so sad to say I didn't see them because since then I've realized how amazing they are. And I've actually sent Kyle, Sons of Men, and said, you need to listen to this record. It's really good. They were the best band out of all of us on those tours at the time. I, now I, I love the format. So like I, I, I could see that, but they, they were great. And I, I'm really sad I missed Ruben's Accomplice. I, did, I didn't realize they were even at that show. I'm terrible. That was a long, there was, I think there was, there might've been five bands on that show that night. Yeah. I, I'm looking at a, I found actually a link that's talking about it. it was the format piebald Limbeck steel train and Ruben's accomplice. And there you go. I, I did also share this when I talked to Patrick before, but I'll say it again that I vividly remember this was the formats. I think it was their last tour before they broke up or very close to, and like Nate seemed to be in a really surly mood, just was not super happy. People were yelling out requests and he was kind of pissy about it and didn't want to play songs. But I remember that when Limbeck, you guys were up, somebody yelled out, play Julia. And I think it was Rob was like, okay, we'll play Julia. And then you just launched into it. It was just like, it was such a contrast and you, you were just dudes having a good time playing some songs. It was, it was awesome. It was a good show. It was the only time I got to see you guys. So yeah. Anyway, it's a good sounding room, but, but that stupid beam <laughs> that blocks the, everybody's view is the worst. <laughs> I think it's been torn down since. Yeah, it's gone. Station four, totally gone. Um, so usually what we do on this podcast is we start digging into our favorite songs in the record, which kind of gives us a chance to like really dig in and, and, you know, dig even deeper than we've gotten so far. So I don't know, Kyle, do you want to do that next? That's fine with me. All right. So um, I can start with my list. If, if this isn't too embarrassing for Rob and uh, Patrick for us to talk about our favorite songs and, and dig in. Um, I limited I, mine to five, by the way. For me, I've got this in no particular order, five songs as well, honk and wave, great opener to the record, great energy. Uh, Kyle's nodding right now on the video. I'm guessing it's on your list too. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah she really broke my heart in two. Four years later, I still never forgave her. The thing is when I was ready to I had completely dismissed her Now I think I'm driving through her state And I'm not ready for some burned down bridge just yet And I'm not saying that I want anything from you The only thing I really want now If I see you soon Is if we drove side by side on a yeah, I mean it's it's a really fun uh, song, and it, you know it, it inspired the the classic Limbeck bumper sticker that says "Honk and Wave if you heart the Limbeck band," which is amazing. Um, it's just such a fun song, and just it it really kicks it off on the right foot. So I guess I'm curious if Patrick, you or uh, if you or Rob have any thoughts on the song and like where it came from, or really any thoughts you have at all. Sounds like a breakup song. It uh, it's a post breakups patrick and i were driving like super early in the morning in utah just on the road and uh but i i had a you know like uh i don't i had only had one uh, serious relationship earlier in my life and it was someone who was originally from utah and i thought i had heard that maybe they moved back then i was like oh shit what if we what if we saw her because we're here and uh, and that's we were kind of just kind of I don't know. We were were we talking about this at all, or was this just all? In I my feel head? like, yeah, no, I feel like that's a conversation we had. Yeah, 
It was a very, like, I remember for some reason in Utah, we were always driving when it was really early or really late and we were really tired all the time. And Patrick and I would just be drinking tons of, tons of soda and talking a lot. I love that. And I can obviously like you read it and she really broke my heart in two. It's got the depressing lyric there, but it's so upbeat <laughs> and obviously it's the opener for the record. Do you remember how you landed on this song as the, the first song of the, the record or was it just obvious based on the slate of songs that you had? I feel like it was obvious with where the song went, but uh, I don't think we went into the record with that idea that that would be the one. But um, I don't know. I think a lot of cool things happen with that one production. I think, uh, I mean, I, I know, I know specifically I, I got to play that 12 string to do that little walk up uh, thing. And then uh, Ed had that cool tremolo effect going into the bridge. That was really fun. Um, and then that had kind of like that, I don't know that, well, Rob, you, you wrote that riff though. You wrote that honk and wave riff. I think that was another big thing for us that like kind of, you know, it had, a, it didn't have any big bends in it, but it was definitely like a, a riff in G, uh, that was kind of like, you know, I, I guess I'd say Americana esque. You know, this is the yeah. one in the in the verse that's yeah and that's exactly the type of thing finally we have a good example that i've been talking about vaguely in this podcast <laughs> like, the record is full of those things and it's super super cool i love it yeah i think it, and rob laid that groundwork there i think that uh you know kind of led led to other things like we yeah we we unified on that riff in in the recording of the song and i think uh those kind of little there's a lot of songs in the key of G on the record uh, that that made a, a lot of difficulty in our set list making yeah. um, without having too many songs in the key of G in a row. But uh, definitely, like, kind of, kind of gave us like I guess a foundation uh, guitar wise, like where we were always kind of noodling around with those, uh, you know, I guess your open, open. Uh, what do you call it? Open open chords, open chord G uh, uh, fingering. Is that what you call it? It seems like the wrong word. Voicing, voicing. What was a? It was a revelation when I realized that playing Julia and just dinking around. I was like, oh wait, this riff is just like hammer-ons and pull-offs and stuff like inside the G chord. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I know, Kyle. Did you have any other thoughts? Since it sounds like this one was on your list too. Uh, nothing additional on this one. No, just a great opening track. And, uh, again, just reminds me of touring, but yeah, the reason I said it was breakup just, it's funny though, it's like a post breakup, but it sounds like you just want to get to a point within the breakup, which I think we probably have all been there where it's like, okay, we can be cordial if we do see each other. And for the record, also the, uh, the bumper sticker is a knock on the wall drug right. sticker. Just yes. so if anybody if anybody wanted that trivia. <laughs> so being in Minnesota, we did go to wall drug when I was a kid oh. driving out to South Dakota, not worth it really at all. But I do remember the bumper stickers. I've been to wall drug or whatever. And yeah. yeah. Where the heck, where the heck is wall drug? Where the heck is wall drug. Yep. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I'm going to say the next two songs on my list together, because I absolutely love the linkage you did on the album. It's silver things and Julia. I love that at the end of the track, technically in silver things, you have an intro to Julia. 
it just it's like that old school cd style thing like where you might have like a secret track at the end or if you rewind from the beginning it was just, it's like that kind of thing because was it the negative uh, right the space on the third track I, I don't know how they ended up doing it i'm Probably almost positive in, it is yeah in, uh in in like the the current world it probably turned into the end of the second track. Exactly. But in the CD world, it was probably the negative space on the third track. I'm almost positive that's what it was. So I think it's so cool. But so Silver Things, which is track number two, is on my list, as is Julia. So... Silver Things, just, again, love the energy on this song, and and I love the guitar riffs again. It's just kind of more of that. It, it keeps up the energy from Honk and Wave, um, and it's just a super fun song. Um, I don't know, Kyle, was this on your list or no? Silver Things is on my list. Julia is not. Oh, how how dare you? <laughs> I knew that I was going to get grief for not having Julia on my well, list. So you mentioned earlier Silver Things, another breakup song, right? I don't know, Rob, if you had anything more to add about it. Uh, that's a break-in song. Break-in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, th- there was just this like kind of like hiccup in starting the relationship with my wife, and um, I I wrote some of the songs on this record during that time, where it was like, what happened? Like everything was like set, like this was happening, and it was perfect, and then all of a sudden it was like radio silence, and um, and that's what Silver Things was kind of about. I had a similar thing with my wife. I didn't write a song about it. I probably should have. Um, where we were broken up for about nine months and have been together for like however many years since then. So yeah, I, I totally can relate to that. One thing I did want to mention about the song that I absolutely love is, musically is the bridge. The tell me where the start is. You can tell me where your heart is with the nice, like most instruments fade out, except there's just the drums and a little bit of guitar and the kick. Um, and I love the way that you sing the line. Um, and it's just such a great way to like go back into a final chorus because you're almost like screaming at the end. Oh, tell me where your heart is. Tell me where your heart is. Like there's that longing that is so wonderfully expressed that I think is super cool. And I I love the way that you did that arrangement. Yeah, I mean, you can only have something happen to you. most most songwriters. I don't know if, if everyone's like me, but you have to have something happen to you to write something that you know something good. Uh, and and that I guess that was one of those things is I was just I was uh, I was I was heartbroken because I, I I loved this person and we hadn't really like gotten that far into our relationships and it just kind of like broke off really fast. And so that's what that's what the where where I was that's the headspace I was in for that. Sure. Well, I'm I'm glad it worked out. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you sing your own harmonies on the recording or did Those Patrick? Are probably sing Patrick. Patrick. 
Oh, they are. Okay. Wasn't sure. Sometimes, you know, I, I know sometimes they have the singer just sing all the harmonies, but um, obviously I've seen live videos. I've never seen you guys live, but I've seen live videos where Patrick does sing them. So I figured it's possible. I, I don't think I did a whole lot on my own and, and Patrick was really good at the harmonies. You may, you may have doubled some parts there, Rob. I don't know. I can't remember, but um, yeah. Yeah. Silver things for me. Um, I just, I love the, the flow of the chorus. I'm glad you mentioned the bridge. I think the bridge is fantastic. Um, even just the pushed chords on, on the chorus, I think are, are just, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great flow to the chorus. Cause I think there aren't too many, uh, songs on the record that flow quite like that. I think a lot of them are a little bit more straightforward. This one has a little bit more of, um, yeah, the push, which I, yeah, I think it's just a great song. Well done. I love the, the ringing guitar chords, like right from the very beginning, little cool touches that that make a you know relatively simple song from a chord perspective really shine i think and again like leads into probably your most like catchy song just to say julia which we'll get to in a moment i do have to say quickly i love also that you mentioned the golden state in the song like there are states just all over this record (laughs) which again maybe adds to what kyle said about it being a, a touring album which is super cool so yeah my next song is julia um i want to say it was probably the song that grabbed me at the beginning. So the story of me actually connecting this record, which I should ask Kyle to pause and share his too, um, was a really good buddy of mine named Chris in college, had it on CD. And somehow I borrowed it and listened to it. It was like, this this band is great. I love these guys. And then it turned out that you were in the same universe as the format, Steel Train, Motion City Soundtrack. Um, it just was interesting how that happened. And maybe that's how he heard of them. I don't even really know. But um, Julia was definitely the song that grabbed me. It's got a you know a great melodic hook, got great guitar hook that is just awesome. Like it's it's just super catchy. And then just the the great lyrical story of this this Julia who used to be a goth kid is such a great line. Some days I'm on the eight, but sometimes I'm on the twenty-two in rush hour traffic. I'm curious, like Rob, it sounds like you said Julia is a real person. She probably used to be a goth kid. Like where did that inspiration come from and how did it hit you to write the song? I'll agree with you. This is my favorite song when we made the album. Um, uh, and I don't know if it's my favorite song now, but, but I, but I really liked it when we were making it. I thought it was really good when we made the record. Um, but yeah, this came from, uh, I don't know. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but, um, I was with Julia and I was sort of like talking over something that was bothering me with her outside of a, a cop, a photocopy shop. And we were sitting on the curb talking about this and I was like, man, she's just so smart. And that's like, I was just like, she's so like, I don't remember what she said. I don't remember what we were talking about, but it just, I was just like, I don't, I don't ever see, I don't see her very often. Like, like once a year I see her and we hang out and every time she's, she's just like, so practical and like has the right 
way to look at things. And that's what the song was about. And so even back then you only saw her once a year or so. Yeah. I, I dated her a long time ago. Oh, like okay. High school. And then, uh, not for very long, but we always stayed friends and, uh, yeah, occasionally I would, I would, we would, and still the same thing now, it, like a few years will go by and then we'll, we'll like one of us will call each other up and we'll go hang out. That's awesome. And hence the line then, Julia is so smart. I'm annually reminded like, how great yeah. it's like <laughs> you say so much with that. It's, that's just, it's, it's super cool to hear that story. And then can I ask who, who is JCR? Julia Cobra-Ross. Okay, so it's the same person. Got it. Okay. I shouldn't say your whole name, but yeah. Yeah, okay. I heard JCR's moving up north. There we go. Got it. <laughs> I also really love, I mean, the lyrics of this song, there, there are a few points that I, I just really still connect with. Time turned fragile when I turned 22. That is a great line. Like, you should be proud of that line. Um, I feel like that maybe that age is a little bit different for everyone based on life experience. But I think maybe Kyle and I have talked a lot about becoming fathers and like now in our thirties, uh, life feels a lot different than it used to. And I, I think that you connect with a lot of that and that, in that particular line, which is great. I feel so silly saying it now because it should be more like, you know, when I turned 35 or something. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's a quick question. How old were you guys when you recorded this? 23. <laughs> were you probably early twenties? We wrote that song on the way into the studio, so I probably just turned twenty-two. I think I was twenty-three when we made the record, or or when I think I turned twenty-three when we were touring after we made the record. So we were. Uh, I that was in the exact same time that I was in a band. So it's kind of funny. Early twenties. Same. It's a good time to be in a band. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I guess I have to ask too on on this song. You talk about being on the twenty two versus on the eight. Are those highways? Yeah, there. Yeah, in California, there's just so many different ways to go places here. Sure, but then you also have the time to fragile when I turn twenty two. Is that connection intentional? Was <laughs> no, it just like yeah? You did. That's similar to when you accidentally rhyme two lines with the same word. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. So the best song I ever wrote, literally I did that. Um, and I rhymed the word you with you. And I didn't realize I it. it for years. I, I, Yeah, I shouldn't even admit that. Anyway, Julia's no, on my list. Does it, but yeah, it's... yeah, it happens. Um, so Kyle was not on your list. Again, shame on you. But I, I, I do to- I do totally hear you, uh, Patrick. And, or sorry, Rob, excuse me. And we'll probably get to um, like what your favorite songs are still from the record. We will get there, I promise. Uh, but it is interesting how your uh, perspective changes over time. And, you know, something that was really great, you know, maybe you look back on it and it doesn't quite. Oh, yeah. Up. For me, it was like easily the best song when we made the record. And then but then it wasn't that long before I was like, please don't put Julie on the set list. Like, I don't want to play it. Yeah. it's And why was that? Did you just get kind of sick of it? Because it was it's pretty poppy. It's very catchy. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It was usually just me that was not wanting to play it. Um, but, but, but I'm also like, you know, I, I recognize that that is a more likable song for like, you know, people who tell me the songs that they like, it's, sure. for example, my dentist loves that song. <laughs> that, can that we, can we tell a funny, can we tell a funny story about the video of that song? Of course. Cause, uh, I think it's funny. Cause I mean, obviously we, we, we thought the, the song had some kind of relevance cause it was the song that we went to for a video. Um, but Doghouse gave us some money to make a video. And the first day we went out to make the video, we wanted to have some kind of cool car and like go out to the desert and, um, or no, I think maybe just around town. I, oh no, no, we went out to the desert. I'm sorry. 
we wanted to go out to the desert, record some cool stuff. Um, and when it came time to rent the car, I don't think we were part of it. And they rented this like Sebring convertible. Oh, it was so terrible. It was so terrible. And we were like mortified, but somebody had spent money on that. So we kind of had to do it. And I, I remember we, we, you know, whatever we went through the motions, we did the video and we were out, we were out eating dinner at Chili's. And then I don't know if it was, I remember it being at, at dinner. I feel like we got a call from the guy that made the video and he's no, like, it was the next day it wasn't, was we it? I say, okay. 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 Anyways, the guy, the guy, the next, let's say the next day, the guy that made the video called and said that the footage had all been stolen because he recorded it on 16 millimeter film and he said it all had been stolen um and it's on him he's gonna re-record the video for us and we were like kind of i mean it's just the weirdest thing but we were kind of like like secretly happy that we didn't have to release this stuff of us driving around this crappy crappy convertible um so then that's where rob and actually yeah sorry jumping ahead Rob and his brother found this old VW bus on Craigslist or whatever. And, um, we bought it. We cut out the roof at his parents' house, uh, so that we could get a little bit more light in the car for shooting, uh, film in there without lighting or without proper lights. And then, uh, we, we drove that around, uh, around town a little bit, Long Beach, I think. And then we got a U-Haul thing and carried the, the VW out to the desert, uh, off, the 10 yeah off the right, 10 right, freeway right cabazon the the dinosaurs yep. and we did a couple of uh scenes there and then um that started my love for vw buses me and rob driving down to laguna beach to get donuts yeah, prior man. to the filming of the of the of the video it was like a magical memory for me but um yeah so we filmed the video twice and then, uh, yeah, it was all filmed in the desert uh, without permits across from the dinosaurs in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That is awesome. And and I feel like, Patrick, the uh, like tan or whatever colored VW is kind of your, your trademark. I feel like you post about it on Instagram and stuff randomly and or like it still exists, right? It's it's in the background of some of your shots. I swear I've seen it. Yeah, that. I mean, that's that's my bus. That's my bus now that I bought, but it, but it was fully, fully... Uh, birthed from a drive that Rob, Rob came and picked me up from my parents' house and we drove to Laguna beach to get, um, donuts. And Rob was driving this VW bus and it was like driving a golf cart with the windows down and it was super loud and like kind of a weird, uh, a weird stick shift. I remember Rob, but like unreliable. Yeah. We kept getting stuck, but it was so cool. I, I, I mean, it's just like, that's one of those things. It's like one of the, one of my favorite memories ever. And yeah, that's, that's what kind of like, I think uh, made my love for to to, have, to want a VW bus at this part of my life, you know, that that's super awesome. And of course it reminds me of the movie little miss sunshine where there is a VW bus that has a challenge with its uh, clutch yeah. at one point where they have to push it anyway. Yeah. yeah. The last thing I'll say about Julia, I also love the uh series of lines when everyone met everything is different we all got rides because none had the no one had their license like that just brought me like straight back to my friends from high school and like the weird stuff we would have to do and parents would drop us off different places so just just love that uh series of couplets there everyone met everything
Next on my list is actually, whereas Julia was for me a shower, like right away that song grabbed me. I've got a grower and that's coming from Tucson. This song I think has become my favorite song in the record over the years from the opening, um, really simple, like pull on, pull off, get a guitar chord. And just launching into a really great song that has a great vibe to it with, you know, some riffs again and just like a great chorus melody and I don't know. It's a song that's really grown on me a lot. So I don't know, Kyle, is that one on your list too? It was. I have it on here. Sorry, I was pulling up the lyrics. There's a lyric that uh, made... This is one of my favorite tracks too. Uh, I'm kind of a connoisseur of last songs on a record. Me too. (laughs) Um, But this one in particular... uh, Let me find the lyric. I can't imagine that we won't miss this. And I can't imagine... Coming from Tucson with everyone sleeping. Again, I'm going to relate it to touring. Oh, totally about looking in the rear view mirror of your tour van and seeing everyone else sleeping back there. 100%. And uh, as soon as I heard that lyric, I was like, well, this, I, I mean, I'm a fan for life. Like, this is, uh, <laughs> this is perfect. So, yeah, it, it, I, there's something about it that's charming. I agree. Um, but I think something that you do, Rob, throughout the record and i think it's probably uh it's probably on purpose but it's it's definitely a gift is you definitely wait and you don't reveal um you don't reveal like there's certain parts of the song and certain vocal choices that you you save you save them for the end or you save them for certain parts and the impact is so much greater when you do that and it's throughout the record, but in this song in particular, you just have these moments that you let it build up and then you deliver. And uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, again, I think it's the whole record, but this song, there's there's a couple of moments like that as well. Cool. Thank you. 
and, and to echo what Kyle said, it is an amazing closing track. Cause I also think that there's something to the opening track of a record and also the closing track. And there's just something about this one that just takes you home. It's like, yep, this is, this is the yeah, last song. I agree. I, I don't know. I, 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 when we were sequencing it, I, I don't know if we were like, yeah, we nailed it on this one, but in retrospect we did because it's also like, you know, a lot of times what we close with that at shows when we play now. And it's, it's even, uh, feels even more like one now. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I do miss this. Like we're, we're actually old dudes now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Rob, was this, was this on our set list that much when we were no uh, busy touring? Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like it's, I feel like it's really, it's really made itself mean a lot more these days. And I, I remember specifically, uh, when we got back together, I think it was like 2015 when we did a, like a one-off in Arizona. It had been probably five years since we played last. And, uh, we just all, all, uh, went out to Arizona and played a one show. And I remember closing with that song and it, like really getting chills from it. Cause like just, it was, yeah, really, really meant a different thing. Um, yeah. And and it's it's definitely something that like you know like yeah we we close with it now we've been playing a handful of times across uh, or uh, over the last few years we've probably played maybe done, done a couple shows every year but but man and it just really feels good to play that and and like that's kind of the gang vocal part at the end of the song too so. Uh, It, it means even more now, I think, which is really cool. So I feel like you just made my day because you basically just said for you as a band, it's also a grower. Like this yeah. is a song that's, yeah. that's so interesting. Like, how does that happen? No, there's just more, there's more lyrics. Back in the back, everyone hits a sack with boxes <laughs> to the ceiling. We're working in the morning. Yeah. Um, and not, and the, and then, um, even, even the, it was a long, quiet drive. Yeah. We took it last night over the Colorado river, a sleepy stop in nowhere with switchblades and potted pans. The sun comes up in San Diego after the fog rolls in. I think some of my best memories on tour were the all night drives. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I specifically, I think my favorite spot and probably my, my most frequent spot. I probably felt most in control when I was driving shocker. <laughs> some of the, some of the band members were just terrible drivers. Our drummer, especially was like, you just felt like you were going to die every time. <laughs> but, um, I sat, I sat shotgun like 90% of the time and our, our lead singer, um, drove and those sweet times, like in the morning when the sun's coming up and you've been driving all night and you're on the, you're like eight cup of coffee and maybe you've smoked a pack of cigarettes. Um, those are some sweet times. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really shitty times at tour, but I think all of us as old men now can look back and say, there were some great times too. Yeah, for sure. totally. Yeah. The, it's funny. I actually just went on a road trip with my family and we, uh, over Christmas and we had to hit that gas station with the switchblades. It was like, uh, it's off the eight, 
the A freeway on, on the way to like cut through to Tucson, but we had to hit that gas station. Um, and we got to see all the cool potted plants too. It's cool. <laughs> and they're still there. Are the switch still, still there? I don't think blades, but there was potted plants. Okay. <laughs> all right. Last on my list, uh, in Ohio on some steps, this, this is, I, I actually, I'd probably say this is my favorite song on the record. I love the lyrics of this one. It's an acoustic song with some amazing keyboard, as we talked about earlier. Uh, it's the most descriptive and it just, I feels like it feels to me like I am literally like right next to you, Rob, like I'm assuming it was a house or somewhere where you were sitting with people and you've got all these names and this person you're talking to, Emily from Milwaukee. I thought it was Virginia. <laughs> Jeremiah is going to work, go back inside and fall asleep. Like I just, I I never toured with any bands or whatever, but I, I was like taken right there with you on this song. So I don't know. Did you have any thoughts about it? I'm assuming this is on your list also, Kyle, by the way. It is on my list. Yep. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we have four out of the five. That's really funny. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, <clears throat> that's, I mean, that's what it was. It was just one night on tour and you know, like if you would take the time to write down what happened on every day of the tour, you might have a bunch of songs like these. Um, but yeah, it was just like we, we early on, we would always, I mean, I think for like two years, we didn't buy a hotel room. We would always stay with people. And this was when we played with uh, a band called Rod from Dayton, Ohio. Um, uh, some of them went on to do to be a band called The Story Changes, and um, yeah, they set up a cool show for us at a bar. There wasn't that many people there, but I talked to an interesting person named Emily, and so it was about her. Or I was talking about her, um, and I didn't ever see her again after that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, we stayed at their house, which was just kind of like a band house, you know, people coming and going and, uh, he couldn't sleep. And I went outside and was just playing guitar on the steps and started raining on me. And like I said, I tell the truth. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and when I explain it, it's just maybe sounds more dumb because I was, I was just saying what was happening. Like that's all. <laughs> but it, it, to me, it doesn't sound dumb because I mean, you will know, we'll put clips in for people that haven't heard the song. I, I mean, I feel like everyone who's going to listen to this has heard the song, but it, it, there's just something so magical though about the description. I mean, it reminds me of like a great novel in a way or something like where they are telling a true story that actually maybe isn't that unique or interesting, but yet the, it's the details that make it stand out. And there yeah. are those like lyrical things you do here where in the first verse you say, Emily had tattoos on her arms. I don't have none on mine. She says she's from Virginia, but now it's Ohio. And then the next verse it's Emily said she was from Milwaukee. I thought it was Virginia. Like it's a fun callback. I kept being confused by like <laughs> where she was from when we were talking but so there's that but that's what i'm talking about like if you're gonna sing about something that's not very interesting if you could just paint a little picture all of a sudden it becomes kind of okay and and that is probably the song i did that the best in agreed completely 
it reminds me of how like Randy Newman tells stories though, or um, even like present day, like Andy Schaff tells stories, right? Like it's all, it's all just matter of fact and it's exactly what's happening now. And I think that is unique in songwriting. I don't think it happens all the time. And I, I, I love it. I think it's great. And, and musically, I, I will say again, like, I just, I love that it was kept really, or chill, right? Because it sounds like he wrote it on acoustic guitar sitting on in Ohio on some steps and mostly kept it that way. But the, the organ is just so good. Um, I know you said you had a buddy come on do it and it's yeah we we probably brought him out mainly for that song because we were I I had ended up with an organ in my house when we were like goofing around with that and he uh he was like a great keyboard player he played in a band called Melee and um oh I yeah. that band was awesome they made a really good record yeah yeah so he would come over and play play that and he played on that little like EP that me and Rachel did too and so we we're like well, we can't do the record without him coming out to do that you know, it's funny though, Rob, I, I think this was one of those ones that we kind of, uh, there was some band disagreements on this one being a song that we would yeah. work on the band because it was so, uh, yeah, it was, there was a lot of verse. Meandering, right? Yeah, it was very meandering. Really? And uh, I remember I remember we were like, well, Bob Dylan does that. He like, <laughs> 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 like that's valid. Uh, I remember that being an argument. Um, yeah. But yeah, it made the record and, and one of those songs that like we can't get away with uh, not playing at a show. But another another kind of backstory on that one that's interesting that just came to mind is that, um, and I guess we could do another podcast about this, but when we did the live album of this, the acoustic live record at the house that Rob was living at that we did the demos at. Oh, I was totally um, going to bring up that record, by the way. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like the, the, the Milwaukee where, where they're like Milwaukee in the recording of that. Emily said she was from Milwaukee. Milwaukee. That is our future drummers band. Um, the obsoletes who, who came up with that line, I think, cause I think we, at the time we, it was based on the beach boys party record. Uh, the fact that they just like had a bunch of friends over and recorded songs acoustic and it was a really cool vibe loose and we wanted to recreate that. So we did that live and then we farmed out a lot of the guest appearances. I remember going to people's houses and having people over to our houses. And I think that one specifically, um, that one might've been one that we sent to them. No, no, no. Remember, oh, no, no. We you went to their show in LA. Right, right, right. I do right. That was their hotel room oh. with our recording. Okay, thing. right. That was the hotel room. Uh, yeah, but that, I mean, that, it's kind of cool how those versions of the song merged because the, I mean, we play it kind of, kind of similar to the record, but then uh, that uh, Milwaukee call and answer with the crowd, especially this last time that we played through Chicago. It was so, it's so cool. Like, yeah, it's fun. And it's kind of just a, a funny turn that like John, our, our drummer since 2005, originally sang on that, uh, you know, back in whatever that was, 2004. But the reason it was meaningful that they did that part is because they were from Milwaukee, the absolute yeah. band. Yeah. 
That is super cool. Random note on John, by the way, I, I, because I've gotten into Ruben's accomplice lately, I just bought their album, the bull, the, whatever the something I can't remember. Um, but that's John's label. I believe that pressed it. And he hand wrote a note in the packaging saying that I should make sure to clean the record before playing it because that particular one has lots of dust on it. Love John P or something like that. Wait, uh, did John release that on vinyl? Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, I realize that. I know the the listeners won't be able to see this, yeah, but I got some stickers that are his uh, nice. uh, Goodland Records. Well, check this out. So, oh, look at that! <laughs> Pat, Rob is wearing a Goodland Records shirt, and I have a Goodland Records uh, <laughs> sticker. Super boring for people not watching us on video right now. So, if if you guys still have time after we finish up here, we should totally go back to the the live acoustic thing because it's super cool. So, um, I the last thing I want to say about in Ohio on some stuff. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to say I also to give to, to give Patrick credit where credit is due. I also really love. I believe it's slide guitar on this song too. Like there's some really tasty parts nice. that that complement <laughs> that complement the. Oh, he was holding up a record too. That complement yeah. the um, the Rhodes or the the B three organ or whatever, where it's just like nice little in the background that I love. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like Patrick just like kind of like, uh, I'm trying not to say he really blossomed, uh, but that's what happened on, on the record. You know, like he got really creative with all the stuff there and it, and it kept going after that. And that, I Thanks, think Rob. it shows on that song too, particular. So I don't know. If, uh, was that slide guitar? Am I, do I have that right? I'd never played slide guitar. Yeah. Before. I don't know if I, I, I'll have to, I'll have to revisit this song. I don't know if I did, but there was a, there was a Fender lap steel in the studio that I, I know I played on the, the, the B side of the state. Um, so I'm guessing it was the same one that was probably on Ohio as well. That might've been it for sure. Yeah, so I was, so that that's my list. Kyle, you said you have one song that wasn't on your list. Yeah. I just had one. No, I had two comments about Ohio and then I'll tell you my last song. Um, Rachel Cantu stole that song. Sorry. Like she just I forgot to say it. Thank no you. offense to any of you. I'm sure you take no offense, but Rachel Cantu. Yep. Just... Whenever she's around, she'll come up and sing it. But yeah, it's, it's, it just doesn't turn out as good when she's not there. She just has such an amazing voice. And yep. when I listened to it the first time, I was like, who is that? Is that someone I know? And I was like almost thankful that it was someone I didn't know. Um, so that's uh, for... What, can I ask quickly on, on, on that subject, whose idea was it to have her sing the end up in Ohio part at the end of the song? Was that from her or did you guys suggest that? She came up with that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think that was on that original demo that we did at your house, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, only other thought I had when I heard the when I heard the lyric about Milwaukee and Virginia and Ohio, the only thing I thought of was Cameron Crowe's Elizabethtown, where everyone's like thinks they're from California, but they live in Oregon, <laughs> and then it trips them up in the movie where he's like, and that's the decision from Oregon about cremation for his dad. 
And then he goes, wait. <laughs> or no, he says California. That's the decision for California. He's like, no, it's Oregon. <laughs> so that's what I thought of. I was like, is that an homage to that? And it was. No, it was just a, a person who had moved around a lot. And so as they were telling me about themselves, I was like, but I, but wait, I thought you said that you were from somewhere else. Like, that was before I moved to. I love the way that you pick up the energy. It's still acoustic. It's still the same instruments, but, and people kept coming home last night. There's an urgency that is added to the track that is super cool. I feel like in most more acoustic, like stripped down tracks, you don't really see a lot. Like it's, there's some percussive acoustic guitar and it just like really like, again, drives to that close where Rachel has that beautiful end up in Ohio thing. Like it, it all just works really well. Anyway, I had to say that. I, I do. I was able to do that a lot more live too. Like a lot of these songs right. after you put them on the record, you actually figure out how to play them the way right. that you like them after you've recorded them already. Uh, but yeah, I, I really embellish that part whenever I, we, we play live and I, I like that too. Um, and just, you know, cause it's like, if you imagine like everyone sleeping on the ground in sleeping bags in a house where lots of people live and are coming home with, cause there was another band who lived there too, who was coming home from another show somewhere else. So they came home really late and that, and we're basically like stepping over our heads when they came home, came home. So I was trying to, trying to give you that feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. So sorry to cut you off, Kyle. Uh, what was the one song that wasn't on my list? Um, before I reveal it, Ooh. what is the song that talks about leaving your house? I guess. Wait, talking about big drag? Isn't there one? I can't. No, I think it's tan. I think it's tan, tan and blue. blue. I can't wait to get out of that house. <laughs> oh, yeah. So just so you know, like I was listening to this record today and we were outside and my, my wife was, uh, she's like, I can't wait to get out of the house. Um, uh, we were just dying laughing at that lyric. Yeah, that's funny. I got a couple uh, songs that work for the Panic Bay. That was like the, um, you know, like just like talking about when you don't have any money and you can't go anywhere. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was just so funny. She heard that lyric and she just kept singing it. I'm like, yes. Yeah, I, I, I haven't noticed that one. Yet. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> um, any guesses on the final song, Eric? Oh, oh wow. Oh. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, or I don't you guys can chime in too. <laughs> any songs that you think could be on the list but haven't been mentioned that you're like what um, this is the best song guys i don't know that it, that i would say this is the best song but i'm gonna i'll tell you what maybe you're thinking of maybe because this is the one that i come back to and i'm like oh i forgot we did this song but this is actually pretty good surprised we never play it um but the fourth song this place is deserted for me that that was like a a sleeper and it's it's one of the more emo songs on there too and so I kind of dismissed it for that for a long time. But now when I come back to it, I'm like, oh, I like what we did with the, the backwards tremolo thing or the, the tremolo speed thing. Anyway, that, that would be my, my pick for Curveball. I like it. I like it. It's not the one, okay. unfortunately. I wrote this down as the one I picked. That's one of the oldest songs on there. Is it? That's interesting. Yeah, I wrote this down. Um, so I didn't think this would be on my list, but I was going through it uh, in the last couple of days. And it was just the one where there's a nice build to it towards the end. I think um, 
again, I think you saved kind of the best for the ending. But um, I think there's some great lyrics in here, but I think there's also, um, I think it's just a great melody and uh, it had to be on my list for that reason. We were supposed to have a black and white spring. Do you remember that? You're probably packing some things to bring. Toss the boxes in the back. I wrote this down for you, not because you're. Just because we like you. That's another one that that Rachel Cantu had a lot to do with. Um, we wrote that for uh, our friend who was moving. Oh, I mean, we're saying the same things over and over again, but again, the really vivid imagery is so good on this. Like it's, and there's something also in the way that you sing it, Rob. Um, the not because you're leaving, just because we like you. Yeah, just because we like you. Just because we like you. Yeah, just because we like you. It it feels like that has weight to it. Like the words are simple, but you feel the emotion. And I think that that's awesome. And then finally, the the last lyrics of the song, and if my fingers should start to crack or blister, I guess that's just what happens. Don't forget the things you're doing. Which, like, it sounds like when you just read it simply, it's a song about moving because there's the physical piece of, like, fingers cracking or blistering, I guess, from moving boxes. Is that what that's getting No, at? actually, okay. I okay. don't like that line very much because I felt like it didn't fit in with the, the whole, like, you know, story of the song. Interesting. But it sounds like you made it fit in with the story. I did, uh, yeah. I take it back. No, it was really just, uh, like, I was playing my guitar so much as I was writing the song that my fingers started to, to kind of break. That's what that was about. Nice. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I could see why you wouldn't like it knowing that the true backstory yeah, to I it. Felt like I kind of just like phoned it in, you know, to finish the song, to finish the, the and Yeah. To me, I totally read it as like, I helped you move. Cause I've been there. Like actually mutual friend, Kyle, um, I helped Chelsea and Brooke move and literally took a broken bungee cord in the face that made me bleed all over their mattress. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and, I, that's one cool thing about songwriting is like, like I, I, I'm really hard on myself and I think most songwriters are, but um, I don't know, like even the word, the lines that like bother you the most, sometimes other people can spin it for you so that all of a sudden they're okay. Totally. And this is the thing I never got over as a songwriter. And I, I wrote songs in high school and really haven't since I always stop because I'm so critical of it and I think it sucks and it's terrible and I never continue. Um, so maybe I need to pick that up again. Uh, so I'm curious for Rob and Patrick, like what are your favorite songs on the record? Like now, like 17 years later after making this thing, you're different people now. What are songs that like for you still hold up or you enjoy playing, you know, when you play live, however you want to answer the question. You want to go Rob? Um, sure. Uh, definitely honk and wave is one of my favorites. Um, and a lot of it too, like, cause of this like uh, pandemic, it's like which songs sound better when I play them by myself on the acoustic. Honk Away turns out okay, like that. 
Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't play all of them that much. Um, even though I, I do understand why my dentist likes Julia so much. Um, and he's an awesome dude, by the way. Uh, I don't love playing it. Um, it just feels a little like kind of dopey to me. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like Honk Wave, Silver Things. I, I love, um, uh, uh, coming from Tucson. I had, I didn't used to like Albatross and Ivy for a long time. I didn't like playing it, but I kind of like it now. Um, that, that one's kind of fun because I wrote the song about someone who, um, I was friends with who moved, who kind of just up and left and moved up north to Washington, I think. And they were from San Diego. So I was, I was just talking about like, a, a place that I liked to go in San Diego whenever I go down to visit her. I just found this intersection where airplanes would fly over um, really low, super low on the way into the San Diego airport. And that's what that song was kind of like I was picturing in my mind when I was like, when you left Albatross and Ivy is just an intersection, but I was really saying like when you left San Diego. Um, but the craziest thing about that is that she moved back to San Diego and I don't know uh, that she knew the song was about her. Um, or even if she knew about the song, but she moved. She moved to that intersection when she moved back to San Diego, and I no went way. to her after she after she moved back, and she gave me her address, and it kind of freaked me out. And I know that it wasn't intentional. I doubt she even knew that the song was about her, or she might not even even known that it was talking about that intersection. But I was like, that is so nuts. The crazier, crazier thing is that somebody stenciled uh, the loudest, quietest place in the entire state on that intersection on the ground. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool. That is super cool. What about you, Patrick? What are the songs that still like hold up to this day or that you like playing? I think play it's live? the it's the first and the last. I think I like like we've been op- every time we play now, we open with honk and wave. I think it's kind of just become our our thing uh with opening with that song and it always kind of gets the crowd going and it's uh yeah, kind of like, you know, like we were talking about kind of that that initial um foundation of our riffage <laughs> yeah. that i uh you can, you still just you can do it too yeah yeah it feels good and uh so yeah i love that i love that song and then i, I and then i think closing with uh coming from tucson and it just always like i said like it it just rings true and almost even more uh it's more meaningful at this era of my life than it was then um i think yeah i think you you took it for granted at the time like yeah. Yeah. Of course we won't miss this. Like it's, this is really fun. We're having a lot of fun, but now that we're, it's, it's not our full-time gig and we're not doing it at the same pace that we used to, obviously uh, when we get to do it, it's like, man, like I do really miss this. Like I, I can't imagine not having this in my life ever, you know? Well, I hope when this pandemic has receded, you all get together and play again. Cause, uh, yeah, it, I feel like there's going to be a giant release of stuff. Um, like, you know, the format, we're getting back together this summer. I got my ticket for New York. It's going to go and everything had to be pushed back. And yeah, so it, it'd be awesome. Um, so if you still have a few minutes, like I'd love to talk about, Hey, everything's fine. There's this thing that came out or you released uh, on a limited basis with a special edition, I think, of Hi, Everything's Great called Hey, Everything's Fine. And I somehow didn't hear about it for years after I first heard Hi, Everything's Great. And I always have to remember like which one's which in my head. But Hey, Everything's Fine. It's, as you said earlier, you alluded to it. It's it's a live, basically a live acoustic record um, 
can you talk a little bit about like what it was and how you recorded it? And I don't know who wants to take the lead on this one. Uh, I'll first, I'll first, I'll take, well, I'll take a quick, quick lead on uh, Rob. Rob named the first, Rob named the high everything's great record after a Steve Martin joke. Uh, <laughs> nice. Where uh, I don't even remember the premise of it, Rob. He's just saying everything's better when you're playing banjo. And he's like, he's like, I think it could have saved Richard Nixon. He could have just come out and been like, Hey, hi, everything's fine. And it's like really funny joke. And, yeah. Uh, I, I think no I, I that there's banjo on the record, by the way, too, which we didn't talk. Right. About totally. Uh, there's actually, it's actually banjo guitar. It's a guitar that's a uh, six string guitar that, that has a, like a banjo uh, bass on it. So it Seriously? plays like a, yeah, that's what we play. That's a cheater. It's a cheater banjo. <laughs> that's awesome. I had no idea. But then I believe, uh, I believe Rob's Rob, somebody in Rob's family from Kansas, my grandpa, my grandpa, his grandpa at this like outdoor, I don't remember what it was, but we played with a Dave Matthews band tribute band. <laughs> Yeah, it was a casino. It was a, it was an out. <laughs> it was a casino outdoor show. We got paid a lot of money, but uh, we actually had a pretty good crowd because we we did okay in in Kansas at that time. I think Everything's Great was out, and uh, Rob's grandpa came up to our merch booth and he said, "Hey, give me give me one of those. Uh, hey, everything's fine." Uh, CDs. And we were like, "Oh my god, that's classic." So um, that kind of I think that kind of stuck with us and. Um, yeah, we, we were definitely uh, getting into to beat the Beach Boys quite a bit for some reason at this time. And the Beach Boys made a record, record called Party that, that had that kind of concept where they, they, they uh, got together with a bunch of friends and um, put up some mics and, and, and blasted through some songs, some covers and some, some originals. And uh, we we thought to do the same thing with that record. Um, not that we'd ever done that before. And it was a, it was a good, it wasn't like it was something we'd been doing and we thought we'd recorded. I don't, I don't, I don't know where we got the guts to do it, but Rob, Rob got all this gear and it was recorded at the house that he was living in, uh, an old, uh, an old house in, or in the city of orange. And, um, yeah, we had a bunch of friends over, and Rob mic'd the whole thing up, had a good sound check going, and then um, we blasted through the set and a couple covers as well. And then that was, I think they were doing like a, no, it wasn't like a re. I think they were just doing a secondary pressing of the CD at the time yeah. uh, of High Everything's Great, and they they released this as like a additional bonus to give maybe people some incentive to buy it maybe again, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. They just like shrink wrapped the, like a, one of those slim line or it, what do you call those? Like cardboard sleeves that you put a CD in. They shrink wrapped one of those to the back of the CD when they like made another pressing of it to try to get some more stuff out there. But, but that, but the cover is the, the guitar sitting on the steps in Ohio, right. Or the, or the oh, back. Yeah, it is. yeah. That back, yeah. The back of that little thing is the, that uh, the morning that I wrote in Ohio on some steps, I took a picture of my guitar sitting there. Oh, that's awesome. And actually, Patrick, you sent me a copy of Hey, Everything's Fine on CD, which was awesome. Thank you. Much appreciated. Were, yeah. Were you able to to put it in your computer at all? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I got it. Did and you do that? As, as sadly, I got rid of all my CDs since then, but I have <laughs> it digitally. Do not worry. I have it digitally, which is... is the well, it, no, it has the... Uh, there's. I don't think we publicized it, but 
it has a video, a very crappy video that we, uh, it's kind of like the making of how everything's great. And it's got a handful of um, scenes that I cut together while we were making the record. And then it has like, I think it has one song from Hey, Everything's Fine as well. It's like this, these were, this was the days when they put some like enhanced CD content on some of the CDs for a short <laughs> period of time before there was actual technology. And so believe it or not, I actually did rip that stuff. I have it on my NAS, my my like storage thing. I, I ripped those things before I got rid of my CDs. So I'm actually- Oh, cool. It. The file name is capital H-E-Y-E-V-E uh, tilde B dot move. Anyway, <laughs> um, that, so I got it. And so you did record it straight through. That's awesome. Because uh, it it's feels not, that way, but I wasn't sure. It's not straight through. I mean, we, we like cut out some time okay. in between songs. Sure. And there's probably a song or two where we had to like, where we messed up and we just started over. But for the most part, it's just like a little show. Which I I, I mean, I love that you mentioned that because part of it, like you do mess up and you start over. Um, and it's so funny. And like, I, I love that you kept that piece in. I can't even remember which song it is right now. One, two. One, but I did just listen to it the other day and I don't want to say it for sure, but I almost want to say that it's better than high everything's great in some ways because there is such energy to it and i feel like it just strips everything bare and it's just the songs and i love that the overdubs you did do to me are super tasteful because i didn't realize this until patrick you um you told me the last time we talked not everybody was actually in the room at the time like you can hear justin pierre from ocean city soundtrack you can hear nate ruse from the format yeah all the cameos were like we we would just like find we would travel to find people or i think nate maybe did that at my parents house or something uh just wherever we could cross paths with people i remember they played the bren center i think they were playing with somebody really big uh in irvine it's like the basketball stadium in irvine and we went over there and picked them up after their sound check, drove back to your parents' house and recorded Nate singing the vocal and Sam did a keys part and then uh, drove them back to their show. Remember that. That's awesome. And it, it's yeah. just it's just so fun. And I love hearing the backstory to how it came to be because I feel like that's this is the thing with all art. Like it comes from a, a gem of an idea that just like, starts like sticking with you and you decide like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. And because you thought to do this, it exists. And it, again, it's, it's just a really cool artifact of the time. And I think the songs really shine. And, um, I, I love, I love everything about it. I love the, I like chips, chips and salsa with my something. And so like the weird thing at the very end. Chips and salsa with my sandwich and soda. Uh, I think that was totally ad-libbed by Patrick. It's <laughs> not premeditated. It's, it's just, it's again, the personality of the band comes across. And 
I feel like Limbeck had the reputation as being like a, a really live band, like a band that was great live. And like, that's, you, you were on the road a ton. And I think that comes across in the record really well. So I don't know, Kyle, if you had any thoughts on it, but I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I think it, uh, it speaks to being young and being full of energy there. Like I, we, that was a big task. And Rob, Rob did a lot of the grunt work on that, like renting all the microphones and, like, I mean, Rob's always been into recording, but, but holy crap, he, he went like above and beyond on that one. It was pretty awesome. Hey, Rob, did you have any thoughts on, on, Hey, everything's fine. Like, you know, just looking back uh, on I it. Really, I had a really kick-ass roommate, um, who was renting me the room and she was really tolerant of us during that time. Like, I, I remember there was one, uh, one night where like she had to yell at me for playing tambourine at like three in the morning or something. <laughs> And um, we did that to her all the time, and she was so cool, and we're still really good friends. And uh, but yeah, like her letting us do stuff like that in the house, including that, uh, you know, uh, everything's fine, and like being excited about it was, uh, you know, like really lucky. Well, that's awesome. Um, we can let you guys go. Really appreciate all the time. Um, anything else you want to add in talking about? Uh, hi, everything's great. Uh, well, I, I don't know if there's room for this, but I, I really think that, um, uh, it was the best, uh, artwork that we did for, of any record. And I felt like for me, that was part of what made it a record, you know, that I'm, that I was proud of is that the artwork was, was good. I, I, I really like the picture on the front. Um, that's a memorable that's a memorable tour story uh, that one of them is me taking the picture one of the shadows and the other shadow is our friend Will, who is our early tour manager uh, puking. <laughs> oh, there you go. We had to pull over the side of the road so he could puke and uh, I had my camera with me. Um, That's awesome. Well, uh, actually, I pulled out the vinyl because uh, Kyle and I were talking and he had you know, raised this concern like, is Patrick even on the record? And so I went down to look at the vinyl I'm like, damn it, there are no credits on this thing. But it did have... Pictures. He's in the You'll see okay. him in that. Oh, there you go. And I guess that's one other thing I'll say about the record and maybe my most effective songwriting trick, which I need to get back to, uh, you know, like if you can't figure out what to write a song about um, and maybe why so many of my songs are just like so truthful for better or worse. Um, I used to write, so I would, I would take a picture and I would look at it and I'd write the song. And that's what um, I was doing at that time. And so a lot of the pictures in the liner notes for that album was the picture that I was like, I'm, I guess I'm going to take this picture and try to write a song. That is super cool. <laughs> maybe yeah, not the, all, maybe not even 50%, maybe 50% of them are, uh, are that, you know? Um, well, because the original CD was, I think a digipack with the actual like little postcard sized things. Yeah. I think that like 12 of them for each song that came out, which was actually a super cool idea. And I'm amazed that they paid for that now that I think about it. Oh yeah. They, they were awesome for doing that. And then our, our friend Dan Askew, who did the artwork just like knocked it out of the park and he hand wrote all the postcards too. Um, yeah, it's, and, and it's just, you know, like when you're young and you have the time to put that much energy into something, it's yeah. worth it. Like it's, it's, you know, I, I can't do that now. Um, I mean, maybe I can, but it's going to take a lot longer. And right. it, it's, I really appreciate that about the record is that we just like, we were all in at that time, you know, like not only did we want to spend all the time practicing to make the songs something we were proud of, and then all the time in the studio and all the time touring, but like we also spent tons of time making sure the artwork was like, was, was dialed in. And I, I feel like you can tell when a band doesn't do that. And it really takes away from a record for me, even though 
it almost doesn't matter anymore. You just, maybe you just have to have a great cover image now, but but at the time that was really really crucial. Yeah, I mean, now I'm really just going back and thinking to all the different CDs I bought and now vinyl where they did put that effort in. And I, I agree, it does like add something extra. It's that sensory piece that complements the listening. It's also like seeing the visual and there's that intentionality. Uh, that is that is super cool. I don't, Kyle, did you, I don't think you had to share, like, how did you come to this record originally? Do you remember where you first heard it? Um, I think I was, I think it was on tour, honestly. Um, it was it was weird. It was like, I want to say, I want to say it was my friend Ian who lives in Fargo. Uh, he was into Limbeck and who was the other band that he was into? He played you guys a lot. And then there was a, uh, the damn wells. It was the damn wells and, oh, cool. and, and, oh, and cool. Limbeck. And, uh, yeah, I want to say he turned me on to you guys maybe back in like, Oh man, I think it was probably like oh uh 2010 maybe, 2011. So, um a while ago, but yeah, uh I remember hearing it and um the band we were in I I told on the other podcast, uh our manager helped uh he helped sign Augustana. It was San Diego, and, right? It was San Diego, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember hearing your sound and thinking like, oh, like if Augustana didn't do pop rock, if they maybe were a little bit more indie, like I could see some similarities. This is cool. Um, and then I dove more into the record and I fell in love with it. So, yeah, I, it was definitely on tour, though, for sure. Well, it's been amazing having you, Rob, and you, Patrick, back to chat about this. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And we'll see everybody else on the next episode of I Love That Record. Thanks for all the kind words. Yeah, you too, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks, Eric.